Yo, 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 what up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Behind the Baller podcast. I am your host, Ben Baller, not Ben Humble, aka the Wash Lord, aka the Shank King, aka the Korean Liam Neeson, and the Korean Earl Woods. Guys, this is a globally ranked podcast show on any single format that you listen to podcasts. We are 100% independent, and this show is produced by the world-famous Dust Brothers. That's Miles Davis. That would be Jordan Winter. With original music by Lakey Inspired. There's no theme song on Thursday's episode, but that would be by Legal Cartel. This is the most unorthodox business show in existence. There is no other show like it. My show is like, if life throws you a curveball, then hit that bitch out the park seven times out of ten. Two times out of ten, get on base. And one time, shit might get by you. Okay? We're not perfect. But I give you guys free game two times a week. All right? I tell you all what worked for me. But what worked for me may not work for you. Maybe your skin color is an issue. Maybe you're fat. Maybe you're skinny. Maybe you're gay. Maybe you like to fuck animals. I don't know. Maybe you're Hispanic. Maybe you're white. Maybe you're black. Maybe your ass is green. But if you digest what I say correctly, you can play your position and understand what the real perspective is and then play my blueprint like a champ. All right? So BTB Army, let's start the fucking show. Each week, sometimes, every episode, whatever it is, sometimes I have something I'm going to talk about, sometimes I don't. And I think about it throughout the days. I write notes, you know, when the show gets taped and there's video, you know, I'll look at the notes the same way I'm looking at them here. There's just no camera in front of my face. There could be a camera in front of my face. I'm just not really, you know, I'm wearing some fucking swim trunks and a fucking white tee, right? But the thing is this. I write down shit that really happens in my life. I, I talk about shit that has happened in my life. I'm a great storyteller only because great shit happens to me. As boring as some things may happen in my life, I'll go dig and think about some shit that happened that can maybe give you some tools to success, whether it be in business, whether it be in life, I don't know. This is, like I said, an unorthodox business show, but we talk about my lifestyle. We talk about a lot of things. I know we focus on parts of the season during football season. We talk about Seattle Seahawks, and I'll talk about some other things. I'll talk about the Lakers during the season, right? The Dodgers are winning like a motherfucker. I'll talk about golf, whatever. I'll talk about movies and shit. Discuss a little bit of pop culture. I could talk about trending topics all the time, but that, that ain't really important, man. You know what I mean? Like, Sometimes people say, hey, how come you're not talking about the situation in Ukraine? I, I might hear in the argument, oh, man, shut the fuck up. This ain't the Ukraine podcast. This ain't the volcano hit Hawaii podcast. This ain't your child got ran over by a train podcast. But I will address things that I think, you know, need to be addressed. Otherwise, you got social media. Some people do want to see my, my opinion, but you know what? 
I try to give you guys about an hour an episode. You know, I remember the early fucking days where we're doing fucking two hours plus. And I got some interviews coming up. I have like three coming up that we got to drop. One's great. A couple that really shares like business, how to make money. And that's what they really do for a living. I got a girl coming on who is in the car business. And I've been really trying to focus on women and stuff just because I'd like to build more of a woman audience, right? And I think people could tell from there. I think women, most women that listen to my show, they're not fucking butch. <laughs> I've seen the girls who listen to this show. I've seen a lot of them. When I say a lot, I'm talking about hundreds, right? And I know there's more than thousands that listen to the show, but I'm saying these girls don't strike me as, you know, I'm going to fuck you in the ass. Not, no, it's not that. There's a difference between misogyny and talking like it's the 80s or the 90s or aka how I was raised. I'm not going to steal from somebody. Not going to rob anybody. Not going to lie to anybody. Saw some dumb fuck say something on the day. Ben is known as a frauder. Da, 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 da. Where do you see that at? And don't tell me Reddit or some Twitter shit because some BTS fucking fan or some K-pop fan is mad at me for whatever. And um, the fucking reverse culture sh fucking appropriation bullshit when you got these fucking minorities being mad. But yet they're listening to K-pop. Fucking mind-blowing. Or the Reddit geeks or whatever the fuck. Show me a published article. Not the same old bullshit where the guy said I had a red M3, which I've never had in my life. There's people who've known me. You feel forget that people have known me on the internet for 20 years. When the fuck did I have a red M3? Never. People say, oh, I brought, when did I borrow money from anybody? Besides maybe a bank. And even that's just crazy. Anyways, I figured that people think that I'm mad. And it's not mad at, like I'm mad at the world, nothing. I understand that life is unfair. That, that's, that's besides the point. When I talk about anger management, that's got nothing to do with anybody on the internet and why, like, oh, it's got it. Man, I don't even look at that shit like that. I may look at stupidity and be like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. But I mean, I wouldn't give you a second of time in, in real life. Now, you have to differentiate what you read on the internet, what you read on social media, and what you deal with in real life. Now, someone's sitting at a stoplight, I feel bad when I'm sitting at a stoplight, someone honks, I'm like, fuck, I feel bad. Let me go. And I've already talked about that perspective before here for the new listeners. You know, you never know what's going on through someone's head. I'm not stopping because of that. I'll pull over. I've had friends who were famous and were on hit shows and then they just fell off the earth and it's just Hollywood's fucked up. You know, it's what it is. It's a tough game. NBA, any kind of pro professional career you have, you know, there's always new talent coming in. And my boy's on a side street. He decided to pull over and just start reading. Because he felt like he was having a fucked up day, so he was going to fuck other people's day up. And I was like, nah, dog, I'm not, I'm not rocking with that, bro. Get your ass to the side, man. You know, oh, have empathy. Look, that's the problem. Everyone's worried about everyone else. And not worried about themselves. If everyone took care of themselves, it'd be a different place that we live in. And that's so deep that I'm not going to touch into that. But what I am going to touch on is having high goals setting higher standards, right? There's women out there, so I have high goals, I have high standards. Look, man, men, you're out there, and, and I get it, because I could be slightly hypocritical, but people want what they want, right? And what you settle for is a different story. 
everything is like a negotiation. All right, man, you know what? They're selling my center for $1.2 million. Shit, that means that wholesale is probably right at a million. All right, what will I take? On a good day, I might just take a million, right? I'm not selling my center, but I'm just saying, and, uh, you know, there might be something that a girl wants in life. She's like, fuck this. I was born with, you know, certain attributes and I take care of myself. I eat well. I was raised by both parents. And I'm not knocking anybody with one parent. I was, I was latchkey kids. Who, who am I to sit there? I'm just telling you, you know, there are parents out there that raise their kids very well. And um, then there's kids who, who just kind of figured it out as they went along. I think that my parents disciplined me very harshly. We don't need to get into that anymore because I'll never discuss that ever again about the horrific shit that I went through. And uh, for those of you, I don't know what episode it was when I talk about um, the biggest fist fights, gang shit I've been in, getting jumped, you know, everything you could think of. I'll multiply at times. I got shot before in the back. None of that can come close to what my dad did, right? And the fucked up part about it still is that's just how Koreans raise their kids, man. And I'm sure there's a lot of other cultures that are alike. And you know, it, it is what it is. Now, do I have PTSD from it? Sure. Have I been diagnosed by it? Yeah, I have. What am I going to do? Am I going to stop? People say, you need therapy. You need this. And I'm sure everyone needs therapy. Okay. We're talking about high standards, high goals. You already know what my opinion about school is. And we're not talking about that. But sometimes people need the structure. If I could teach my kids the basic skills, let's say get up to algebra, let's say get up to geometry, sorry, because it goes pre-algebra, algebra, and geometry. I think right after geometry, everything else is irrelevant depending on what you're going to do. Now, if you're going to be a rocket scientist, you're going to be certain, you know, whatever it may be, something that has to deal with, you know, technical things, an engineer something, sure, for sure. But if you're not going to use that, I have yet to use algebra. You can Google my net worth. It's not true. But it's not far away from the truth, right? It's just not true. If I could teach my kids about history, the general history, maybe some of the wars, maybe some of the stuff, maybe about, you know, the California gold rush, which my kids are going through right now, you know, presidents, whatever. And there's so much subjective shit now about how the, um, sorry guys, my allergies are killing me how the world, you know, came about and the fucking bullshit with Christopher Columbus and all that. We're not getting into all that. I'm just saying. What I'm telling you guys is if I could teach my kids all the basic English skills, math skills, a little bit of social studies, a little bit of science, yeah, sure, they wouldn't fucking need school. And some people went to homeschool, cool. It's so they develop social skills. I want my kids to be in an environment around other kids. I want them to network now. Right now, their hearts are pure, truly are. I could see some of the slight manipulation, whether it be YouTube, whatever games, but for the most part, all three of my kids really are, they have pure hearts. I'm not saying I don't, I'm just saying there's so much shit that I need to unlearn and so much information in my head today that you would think that I would have a more vast vocabulary. But, you know, and even with this vocab app, after a while, I'm just like, man, I just got too much information in my head. I don't want to fucking over, you know, overload it. 
what I'm getting at is you got to finish high school. Now, there are some rare occasions. I see it in golf now. Charlie Woods probably won't go to high school. That's Tiger Woods' son. He's already hitting below par at fucking 13 or 12, whatever. And he's probably better than 95% of the people I know who play golf. I don't really know that many bad golfers, just so you know. And I know a lot of pros and I know a lot of amateurs that are good. And I'm just saying that's where you get to that level. You know, it, it's understandable. He seems very mature. He seems, you know, to be a well-versed kid at his age and whatever. And again, it's more so you interact. But then, you know, he gets on tour. He learns certain things. He'll figure it out. I think it'd be all right. You know, I love that I lived in the dorms in college. I loved experiencing that. You know, I loved having a fucking dude that did not, was the total opposite of me. I learned a lot about other people. I love people and I also hate people, right? It's terrible. What I'm going back to the root of this conversation is you set high standards of what you want in life. Dating is not a bad thing. I know I spoke about how difficult it may be today, but how the fuck are you going to know, you know, who's out there for you if you don't go out there and try, right? Some people have a hard time dating. Some people don't. Some people get anxiety, Some whatever. I don't know. All I'm saying is set high goals for yourself. You could set high standards for the people you have around you. And it's important to, to really do that. Now, some people say, oh, man, you've changed and blah, blah, whatever. The minute you let that go, and there's certain things that call loyalty. You have to really think about what that really means. Loyalty doesn't necessarily mean always because that person has been loyal to you. You could go on a point system, right, and what, what certain things mean. You know, what you get out of friendship, you get companionship, maybe you get advice, we get whatever. And some people maybe just, they take it lightly, don't trip, they just go by life and chill. And that's cool. You can cruise by life and just really be, have low standards and whatever, and just be, you know, live modest. That's fine. Uh, this, this is not for you. Because that's not how I live my life. Right? But I've set high goals. I've set high standards. Before I met my wife, my wife already had a Porsche. So, oh man, dad. You know, her parents listen to this show. Her parents make a very decent income. That's it. I wouldn't say that they're, you know, rich by any means on a financial level. I think they've done well and they did a great job raising an amazing son and amazing daughter. Right? And my wife comes from, uh, on, on her dad's side, comes from a wealthy family, but that was never spread on his part and he never gave a fuck. And I respect my father-in-law for that. But the way that he raised them with love is some whole other shit. He could never do wrong by, you know, in his eyes. She could never do wrong, I'm sorry, in his eyes, right? She had very high standards. She had her own place. She had, a, you know, a semi-successful business uh, with a bikini company. She modeled. She had fun. She had really cool friends. She had a tight group of friends that she's still tight with this day. I was totally opposite. I had a bunch of friends here and there. But my two closest friends had passed away throughout our marriage. One beginning and, and one um, right before Kai was born. You know, and I don't really need to have a whole bunch of people around. I have everyone I do need. And, you know, I'm self-sufficient for the most part, but I, but I find things in other people randomly. I find interesting conversations. I'll open up things here and there. And um, see, what's funny about uh, Twitter is Back in the day, Twitter used to have a public feed. 
This is when they first started. And I remember my boy Alchemist, Alan, said, you know what? I'm going to go on the public feed. Who knows? Maybe I'll make a friend. You never know. And he was just making a joke about it. But you go on that public feed and it's just like random tweets, literally. They can't do that now because there's a billion users, right? Whatever. But having high standards doesn't, you know, it's not a bad thing, right? People say, you know, um, I go back to that Phil Knight quote all the time. He says, if you have no expectations, you'll never be disappointed. I call Cap Phil Jackson. I respect you as a coach and everything, right? You still built this shit around great players and whatever, and you know how to put the pieces together. But that's bullshit. I know he's never exploded, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's footage out there of him getting mad somewhere on, you know, during his coaching years. But I remember watching a, a show, 90 Day Fiance. And this girl from the Philippines was dating this dude. I forgot he was from fucking Michigan or Chicago or somewhere, somewhere in the Midwest. He went all the way out to the Philippines. I remember I've been to the Philippines several times, so I saw this shit. And she's out way the fuck in the province. And that's like the real poor part. And this girl lived in a fucking tent in the province with roaches and fucking you name it, no electricity, no fucking running water, all that. And she still wasn't putting up with this shit. And it's fucking crazy because I'll be honest with you. She was actually really pretty. You know, and she just was like, fuck this. I deserve better. Someone's going to be able to take me out of here and take care of me and whatever it may be. And I don't think she was tripping on looks because it was a pretty good looking dude. And he made cool money, but they had like, you know, this beef. And I was shocked. I was like, yo, shit. She got a lot of fucking nerve, right? Shit, she lives in this, this, this. And people don't understand that mentality until you are a woman, right? And we can get into whole other shit like why girls are scared to take an Uber and why shit's scary and why women are scared all the time, whatever, because shit's fucked up in the world. And it's true. And I'm not necessarily a feminist, but fuck, why not pay them the same amount of money, right? But if the WNBA was making the same amount of money as the NBA, then, then you know, the salary should, you know, be comparable. But when it comes to a female doctor should be no reason why a fucking female doctor doesn't make the same as, as a male doctor or make more on average. Female lawyer, whatever it may be, when, when they're on that same level, you know, depending on what how they are at their job. But now, the whole overall message of this is when you set high goals and you set high standards, when does it end, right? You have milestones in life. I set my goals so fucking high that I knew I'd never reach them. So guess what? I'm never really satisfied. So, you know, let's just take for golf, for instance, okay? It's very, very simple. It's a difficult game. There's over 60 million bad golfers currently in the world. They say most of that, well, 60 million golfers can't break 100 on a golf course. A mulligan is a shot that was bad and you redo it, right? So it's, it's just, you, you get an extra shot. Some people play by that. Some people, in the tournaments, you can buy a mulligan, which doesn't make any sense to me. It's like getting an extra shot. It's like getting an extra life in a video game. Now, 
I understand when you're playing like some of these old games, they're not like games now where you have COD, you can just keep playing whatever and redo whatever. I don't know. I don't exactly know how, how things go today, but I'm pretty sure at a certain point you die, you end, right? You get a certain amount of life. I don't know. But it's not like basketball where, you know, there's a set time, there's 12-minute quarters, 15-minute quarters. It could be 30-minute, 20-minute halves like college. You know, back in the day, you had Pac-Man, you had three lives. You start, that means you got two extra backups, you get boom. And it's like in golf, it ain't that. You're a bad shot, boom, you're fucked. You got a, a medium bucket anywhere between 60 to 75 balls, small buckets between 25 and 35 balls, a large bucket's anywhere between 115 and 125 balls. You get 125 balls and you hit a majority of those really good, that's great. On a range, you go out to a golf course, you get one shot to hit that fucking driver. You get one chance to hit that iron, you get one chance to hit the wedge if you need to use it, and you get one chance, or you get a couple of chances to putt, but what I mean is, you get an overall score. They say that 60 million golfers can't break 100 on a golf course, right? I did it on my second round of golf. Am I saying I'm good? No, I'm not saying I'm good because that's a whole different argument. Now, when I broke 100, did it make me happy? Not at all whatsoever. I didn't even celebrate it about it. I talked about it. That is, I talk about bad things, good things, whatever. Doesn't mean shit, right? Now, this is where a lot has changed. When I was on Instagram, I used to post my cars a lot, especially like, you know, early on, started 2011, 2012, 2013. Anytime I got a car, I posted it. I don't post all the cars all the time. I don't post all the watches all the time. There's a lot of stuff that people missed from that era of like 2011 to like 2016. I think around 17 was probably right around when I deleted probably about two, 3,000 posts. And I said, this just ain't important. There's a million pieces of jewelry that I made, whatever. And some of the really, really big ones that are monumental, I kept. Now back to being happy and being satisfied. There's even over 60 million golfers who never broke 90. People take a year to two years who are pretty good, you know, I mean, as far as growth and development, you know, and I'm talking about somebody that's 25, 23, 30. People say, oh, if you're an athlete, what, how the fuck does that even make sense? If you play basketball and football and you're great, where does that even involve a golf club? It's nothing like, even if you hit baseball, there's some mechanics that work, but actually it could work against you. But I get why baseball players are better at it. I get why, you know, if you play hockey, you could be better at it. But the swing of a club is, is totally different, right? It is definitely the hardest game to play in the world. So to break 100 in the first year is a great accomplishment. Per my coach, per pros, per Butch Harmon, who's considered maybe the greatest golf coach in the world. Breaking 90 in the first year is very hard to do, right? I did that in, what, four months? Okay, does it mean I'm good? No, it doesn't. It means I'm grinding. It means I'm focusing way more on golf than the average person can because golf is expensive. I have the right tools. I have the right people helping me. It doesn't mean shit. Now, there's been a few times where I've hit the pin and the flags in the, in the pool. And I'm like, fuck you, that's mine. I've done that maybe four times out of 16 rounds of golf, right? Four times, there's 18 holes. Now, is that a mulligan? No, we're not talking about that. When you're playing amongst friends, certain things, okay, cool. I've said it once in a tournament and my coach was like, I don't give a fuck what it did. It didn't go in and stay in, right? So now, I know that I'll break 80 in the next year. 
could happen sooner. Would that make me a good golfer? Yeah, it probably will. Yeah. When you break 80 and you become a single handicap, you're, you're considered a good golfer in anyone's book. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. If you consistently hit within 10 strokes of a par of course, meaning most courses across the land are 70 to 72, usually a 72, right? If you score within 10 strokes of that, or even at 10 strokes, you are a good golfer. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Really, to tell you the truth, if you're a 12 handicap, you're good, right? When I hit 87 at Braemar Country Club, done it. Tw- no, I did 87, 80. Okay. When I hit 88 at Angeles, my coach was like, yo, you happen? You, you cool? You excited? And I was like, yeah, I'm cool. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, nothing, man. I mean, shit, you know, it was good. I just, there was like seven, eight bad shots. I could have did better. And you think about that. Other people are just fucking super happy. And I understand I'm not other people. What I'm trying to tell you guys is there's always going to be something. I know I'll break 80. Whether it takes a year, whatever it does, I, I know that. Will I break 70? I honestly tell you the truth. I don't know. I think I might. Now, will I consistently break 70? That's a whole different level. That's a different thing. You know, when you start golf at three years old, four years old, and you're playing here and there, the chances of you doing all that by the time you become an adult, man, so much easier. You have so much less shit in your mind. You really are a blank canvas in the realest form. And I am, you know, still a blank canvas, but I'm also 49 fucking years old. And I started golf at 48 and three quarters, you know, old. So my body's different. The swing form and playing is different. It's not an excuse. It's the fucking truth. Why the fuck don't you see 48-year-olds fucking playing on the tour? There's a couple. It's fucking, uh, um, what the fuck's dude's name, man? God damn it. I can't remember his fucking name. Just, oh, Sink. Stuart Sink. He's 48. You know? He's obviously going to start playing on the Champions Tour, whatever. But I'm saying, you know, it's just not likely. Just like whether, but you can play golf until you're 80. I'm just saying, I'm not satisfied. Now I can put it back into money. When I first made my first million, I was fucking ecstatic. Then you think about inflation. So my sneaker collection, and I was like, yo, I got some bread. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to go. People are like, why you want to go travel the world? Because I don't know what I want to do yet. And maybe I'm going to soak up some culture in Brazil, in Asia, in Europe, anywhere but fucking here. Because I want to see what the world is like. Because it give me better perspective. Came back, was like, all right, I think I want to do jewelry. Took a year for me to figure that out. Started a jewelry business. Then a year, was doing okay. Then two years, started doing pretty good. Three years, all right. Recession hits. Maybe the same for me. You know, fuck am I going to do? Maybe I'll go work for Jason the Beverly Hills, man. He's got a lot of funding behind him. He's got a really nice office in Beverly Hills. He's got the whole setup figured out. And I was down to my last, you know, personal savings. Things were looking grim. The recession was, was the worst I've ever experienced. And meanwhile, I lived a simple life in my eyes. You know, I had a fucking $2,800 mortgage. I had a condo in Beverly Hills, a two-bedroom, small place, 1,300 square feet. I had two cars. I had to get rid of one of them. And I'd had nice cars throughout that. I made my money through those cars and whatever, and just things were just drying up. 
obviously adversity, all that shit had hit. And, and, and you know what? I stuck with it. Went through a fucking weird ass time. Got sued. Met my wife and shit changed around. Do I believe in good luck? Yeah, I do. But the way her standards were and the way she had changed me as a man, shit. I knew that was it. There have been doubts throughout certain times, whatever. But you don't even get to fucking know somebody in two, three years, five years, four years. And I talk like a motherfucker. I ask every single question. Oh, who's your ex? Oh, this was boom, boom, whatever, boom. And I want to know. I don't want, you know, I I don't want to be surprised by something. And as much as I could find out, you do. You have a kid, two kids, three kids. Okay. Got a nice house. Had several. Had 50 cars in the last 10 years. And I was like, were those goals? No. None of those were goals. Right? There was a goal to get a Ferrari. I got it. And then there was a goal to get a hypercar, kind of, but it wasn't really. And I could have did it sooner. I just obviously was stacking and I was thinking about my family. I think the real goal in my life was to be married 10 years, be married 20 years, not get divorced, work it out, figure it out. It's not for everyone. But financially, I was like, all right, a million. Okay, cool. All right, 10 million. All right, cool. All right, 100 million. Not there yet. Okay, still cool. But when is it enough? Well, spending is, a you know, lifestyle. Bills, tuition, you know, going on vacations, things like that. It runs up. This AC right now, we have a crazy fucking heat wave in Los Angeles right now. It's 105 fucking degrees. And it's like, all right. Okay, we keep that shit on. I'm not thinking about the fucking water here. I'm not thinking about this, but oh, we should be caught. Con- Shut the fuck up. We ain't talking about that right now. We're talking about we're paying the price. We're paying a premium for everything we do. And I'm fine with that. But I use golf as a scale, as a gauge, because I won't be happy when I hit 80. Right? And people are like, well, isn't it more happy? It would be important to be happy. It, it is. But reaching goals and having a higher standard and my standard, my base, my bottom, the floor is where I'm at right now. And some people be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, yes, where I currently live, how I eat, how I do everything, that is pretty much the floor. I live pretty close to the floor. That's where I'm at. So I'm not going beneath this. So everything I do from here, if I got to lose this, okay, we got to fight. I got to go grind it out. And spill so up, like, but you raised the floor. The fuck you think inflation is? And that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to be happy until, you know what I mean? I do this and people say, oh, it's st- stressful. No shit. I have my moments. My kids make me happy. You know, seeing them happy is, man, that's bliss. My mom, proud of me. You know, I should probably talk to her some more. It puts a temporary smile on my face. But I got a lot more work to do. Just like Kobe said, oh man, shit, they're up three, one, or whatever the fuck it was. Because shit, we ain't got the ring yet. Boom. Then he got the ring. The motherfucker set that shit, reset that shit all over again. Once they got the ring, it's like, yo, we're chasing for another one. And it's like, look at Tom Brady. Look at other people. I use that in life. That's why retirement is on my radar. And a lot of people who know me say, you know what? You're going to be bored. Bro, I cannot wait to be bored. I cannot wait to truly feel like I need a, a massage every, you know, four days, 
You know, it wouldn't be once a week. It'd be like, I'd literally be in a cycle of every three, four days, I'm getting one, boom, you know, sitting around drinking water all day and whatever, and just being, you know, just really focusing on now myself that late. I know it sounds crazy, right? But that's when me and my wife flourish to another level. And I set up my kids and they're gone, boom, they leave the nest if they have to, if, if they don't want to, whatever it may be, that's it. But that's where my radar is. And I want you guys to understand that the last 25 some odd minutes that I've been speaking about this, it's truly about setting a goal and reaching it. If getting a Honda Accord for you is a goal and, and you know you make $7 an hour or you make $17 an hour, hey man, fuck it. Go get that car, right? Think about insurance. Think about this. Think about maintenance. Think about whatever, all the shit that comes with it. Don't just think about getting it. All right, cool. Can you really afford it? All right. You should be able to buy it three times. Some people say four or five times. You know, where do you live? Okay, cool. You just rent, you know, and, and trying to figure it out. You want to buy a place? All right. Cut the Starbucks out. Cut the avocado toast out. Cut certain things out. All right, well, how am I going to do this? All right, well, then you need to figure out shit, right? Because I'm at the point in my life where I... Love the cars, I just don't really care that much anymore. But then again, my daily driver, whatever car, is still, you know, a really nice car to people. And But I, I still, like, that's like, again, that's the floor to me. I'm not selling it for any less than that because I was driving something crazier than that. But that wasn't for me either because it wasn't just having the double R Rolls Royce badge. I didn't like what it said about me as a person and what I was perceived at as you know, it's one thing that I'm already somewhat unapproachable. And I know that I can be a dick at certain times, but I'm still a nice guy, right? And I say that with a little bit of, of a chuckle because you get in that car, I didn't say you can't be a nice guy. It just puts you in a different level, like that term opulence. That's cool and everything, right? But I'm not trying to make anybody around me uncomfortable. And so we'll say, don't apologize for being you. I'm not going to apologize for being me but that didn't fit me. So, you know, that's just where I'm at in life. And I want you guys to understand whether you be a guy, whether you be a girl, you know, one of my boys is going through it. He's married to a billionaire and he does very well. When I say very well, he probably breaks eight figures a year. He does great. Eight figures a year compared to billions is a fucking joke. It's comparing myself to somebody or my salary to somebody who makes $4 an hour. That's literally how far the difference is. The only problem is at my salary, I could still obviously do what I need to do and whatever, but I'm just saying that the comparison, it fucks up your mentals. And I thought about it. I was like, you know what, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I wouldn't want to deal with that situation. And so we'll say, oh, you'd be set for life. Just do this. But there's a lot of mental shit for a strong man to sit back and do that. that that's a tough thing to do. That's a whole nother battle. That me personally, I wouldn't do. I think that it could drive me to do, but at the same time, it's like you walk up all the way to the, up to the hill and you're literally at the last step and someone kicks you off. You might fall seven steps. You might fall 400 steps. Nah, dog, I'm good. And people say, oh, that's life. No, no, no. But if you set up your, your life a certain way, you might fall down. If you set it up properly, you're only going to fall down one step or two steps. But when you set yourself up and you rely on someone else, that's when you become vulnerable. Now, in my situation, 
I take care of a lot of people. I don't ever want them to feel vulnerable. I'd love a little bit of appreciation, but I don't want them to feel like the plug's going to cut. I stress about the plug. If I'm unplugged, yeah, then it's fucked for them. And I stress about it maybe more than they do. And that's how I think, and that's how I put my life through things, right? So I'm just letting y'all know how I stand as a man and where I stand in life. And, you know, that's basically where I want people to understand what it means to have high goals, high standards. I never set myself up to say I want to be a billionaire. Maybe when I was eight or nine, but as an adult, after I saw, you know, what it's like to make money, to work at Burger King, to work at Subway, to fucking work as an intern, to do all this shit, to build a fucking house and be a fucking production assistant, a PA in the movie business and all this shit. I was like, man, fuck this shit. Selling weed, you know, illegally back in the day. Nah, man. You know, you get to figure out what it's like and how hard it is to make a dollar in the world, how easy it is to make it at the same time. So all I'm saying is, man, set your goals high, go reach them, but be prepared for disappointment. Be prepared for a lot of unfair shit. Be prepared for roadblocks and be prepared to not be satisfied because nothing is more addicting than goal chasing. Doesn't mean you can't, you know, be happy. It's just that drug. You know, when the high comes off of cocaine, when the high comes off of weed, whatever it may be, adrenaline, whatever the fuck it is, when it dies down, you're like, shit, I want some more. Maybe you don't. I just know I'm addicted to goal chasing. I know I'm addicted to living to a certain standard of life and I refuse to live any less than that. So I want this episode to start out this way. But we got to pay some bills. We hit that 40-minute mark, and I know that was fucking deep, and I'm really happy that I got to get that off my chest. All right, y'all. We're going to listen to some advertisements, and I'll be right back with uh, watches and what I think about the watch game and dealing with some fucking random-ass people that are fucking crazy as fuck. And uh, yeah, Miles, I know. I hear the music. All right. We'll be right back, y'all. Now, BTB Army, I have told you before and I will tell you again, you need to have your money working for you. In times like these, who doesn't need a secondary income stream? All right, well, here it is. You've heard me talk about Captain Picks, a sports betting consultancy company I own with Jordan, Miles, and Michael Rapport. But have you joined yet? If you haven't, now is the time. Go to CaptainPicks.com and use promo code BALLER to get a daily or weekly buy one, get one for free. Honestly, we make it so easy for you that you do not need to even know anything about sports to win on the daily, and that is no cap. Our expert captains lead our community of winners every day in sports all around the world. Why are we the best? Because we care. We care about your winnings. We care about your time making it fun make friends and stack wins take our picks and grow your bankroll on your favorite sports book platforms we are here to break all bookies there's not a more knowledgeable community in the industry we have membership plans to fit every budget and if you opt in for a subscription there are big savings to be had 
Go to CaptainPicks.com and use promo code BALLER to get a daily or weekly buy one, get one free. So randomly, um, I think a super follower or somebody, and I'm sure they listen to the podcast, somebody hit me up on my Twitter and um, said something to some dude who, I, you know, the thing is I didn't research it now, and the, the thing is I'm glad I didn't because I did enough research to know that this guy is like some crypto investor or I think he might have, either he created Hex, which is a cryptocurrency, or he is the largest holder of Hex. I don't, I don't fucking know, but his name is Richard Hart. Complete 1,000% goofy, dumb fuck, ass clown. Maybe one of the biggest clowns in history. And um, I understand some people put certain things on their page. They put, oh, top 10 this or top this. But that's fine. I get it. It's rare you see somebody that puts, I own 10 million in watches. I own this in, in cars. And I own that. Like, why, bro? What are you trying to sell? What was the purpose? You know, you look at the dude. I'll tell you if you see like a guy who's like, okay, that guy's a good looking dude, whatever, boom. I could genuinely tell you that I know that Andrew Tate probably has no problem getting women. I don't give a fuck about the behavior, whatever. I'm telling you. I could look at Dan Bilzerian and be like, yo, dude's a good looking dude. He can get some girls. Okay. I can tell you that, you know, money can get you a lot of things and certain things. But I'm saying like, you can tell certain people were probably getting pussy before they had any kind of paper. I can tell you right now that ain't no woman genuinely fucking with this dude. And uh, he even said, I got a big dick too. I would even be willing to bet a high, very dollar amount that dude's penis isn't very big. Okay. Mine isn't, but that's not even the, I've never talked about it. Right. I think, I think there's a reason why, you know, my moniker was cat dick one and Jonas is cat dick two. Right. And some people are like, yo, Ben's talking about some sus ass shit. And I'm talking about some real ass shit right now. This dude said he had the most expensive Rolex or whatever, the two most expensive. Now, it's misleading. And um, he kept talking about numbers that weren't real. Now, some people say, oh, if something sells for something, that, but the problem is they don't sell for that number. And they didn't in the high market. I want you guys to understand, just because I don't speak about watches on this show, very rarely, if I ever really had, understand that I am a hundred million percent connected directly to every single watch brand and know somebody there at least on a vice president level. Not a director, at least a VP, whether it be Vacheron, Audemars, Paddock, LVMH Corp, whatever it may be, there's somebody that I have a lifeline to and I'm one degree of separation from the CEO of that brand, right? And I have a few people that I deal with that have massive watch collections. My boy Dino has a shit ton, right? And there's things he likes. He likes the ice style bling, bust down shit. He has certain things. He has the plain Janes and everything, right? But without putting John Mayer on blast, John Mayer probably has, let's just say, a very serious, healthy mansion in Homeby Hills. There are no mansions in Homeby Hills that are probably even in the $15, $20 million range. I'm just saying, okay, I'm, I'm not going to just give you an estimate. John is so deep in the watch game, but because he's so fucking famous, he gets so much hate. And a lot of people started collecting watches recently. 
Ed Sheeran became collecting a watch collector, you know, in the last five or, yeah, probably about last five, maybe less than 10 years for sure. Drake started collecting watches really heavily in the last like five years. He's had nice watches in the last 10 years and he's had, he has some shit. He has, he's probably had, you know, he has a healthy little collection. Drake has a lot more money than John Mayer. Totally different. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. So this dude said he had a $1.4 million Rolex. And I was like, wait a second, what? And he was talking about one or two watches, whatever. And he posts the video. And um, he says he has the GMT bling, GMT Master Ice. And he goes, I already got it. Fake Watchbuster is a good friend of mine. I would guarantee that if that dude posted slow videos or clear, solid shots of the higher price watches, they'd be capped. I've seen by the eyeball, you know, I'm not putting Greg Yuna on blast, but I mean, people in New York City, from him to other people, um, his old partner, they'll have a, a Rose or a regular Daytona and it's, it's remade. From the eyeball, immediately it looks good. If you sat there and examined it, or if you looked at a really high-resolution picture, you'll tell immediately. That's oh, aftermarket. Reason why I say that is because there was a point in time, right before the pandemic, that a few of these GMT boutique-only watches that weren't available on the catalog, per se, to like a Ben Bridge or another, I'm talking about special Rolex boutiques. Not even necessarily ones in Beverly Hills, right? And not even ones in Macau or something, right? You go to the win. You go to certain people. Some people get offered whatever. There's a certain time around 2010 to 2014, 15, where these limited watches are coming out and they're really hard to get. But they're also available and accessible to people who had a little bit of money then. This dude had claimed that everything has happened in the last two years, right? That leads me to believe that it's cap, a lot that he says, says he has $10 million in cards, I think, or some shit, whatever. He says he has a large diamond. The thing about, I'm not going to address the diamond. That's just completely, and people say, well, how do you know? This is what I do for a living. I didn't just win Jewel of the Year two years in a row. I'm talking about, I'm, there are so many massive billion-dollar jewelry businesses that I mean nothing to, but they know me. Someone in their company knows me. These are people who have massive supplies of stones. I did a fucking commercial for De Beers. They are the biggest. They are the apex. They are the fucking everything when it comes to the diamond game. He's talking about like a 600 or seven or 70 or it could be a hundred carat in the rough. It doesn't matter. That diamond could be worth fucking absolutely nothing. It's uncut. It could be fucking shit inside. I'm not going to address that part. Just want to talk about him saying he had a bump. I was like, you do? I was like, what do you have? A, a Paul Newman? It's like, no, I'm talking about the most expensive produced. Okay. So one of those watches was like $385,000. The other one's like $450. Didn't see the Sky Dweller that he said he had, the Ice Sky Dweller that's, that's fully iced. And again, the Bling watch is probably worth like $450, $500. Now remember, Fully iced out factory watches, depending how they're made, are not worth what people think they are. Now, 
when it comes to certain complications and the setting, Rolex only uses internally flawless decolored diamonds for their factory diamonds. They do not use anything else. If you have a watch from Rolex that is not internally flawless decolor, then you do not have a factory diamond Rolex watch. That's with the gemstones and everything. Okay. He pans through his watch collection. The one that he focuses on a lot is a GMT Master II, is one of the boutique edition ones. I have every single one. And these are watches that are probably like anywhere from 87 to about 125K retail back in the day. Some of these watches have gone up big time. Some of them haven't. And we can go back and forth. The problem is he's talking about certain things. And, you know, I show him a watch that's probably worth $400,000. That was maybe 350K in 2013. And it's like that one watch right there was already pretty much probably more valuable than everything he had in his collection. And he's inflating everything to the, to the highest amount. That's what I don't do. I look at what wholesale is. I look at what retail is. And then I look at what market value is, right? And then I go on the lowest market value. And that's where I'm safe with things. That's what a smart person would do. He kept talking about his SF90. My SF90 spec is this, this, and this, da, 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 whatever, boom. The thing that I fucking love about Ferrari is they don't give a fuck how much money you have. Do you want to know why? Because everyone that buy, is buying a Ferrari should have some money. When you go into a Ferrari dealership, and this is since 2004 when I got my first 360 Challenge Stradale. You cannot just go in there and buy the car. At least not for retail. It's not going to happen. There's going to be a window price. And then there's going to be the MSRP sticker price. And you're always going to pay a premium. And when you buy the car from an authorized official Ferrari dealer, which there's Ferrari dealerships all over the world. Now, when you buy a Ferrari in Korea, guess what? Let's say you bought an F8 Tributo, which is like right around, depending on you spec it, Probably a decent spec. Tributo is probably like around three something. When you go buy one in Korea, it's going to be about a million dollars US. Why? Because of the VAT and because there's no open trade between Korea and Italy. So they're paying a massive inflation. That goes on a lot of third world countries as well. In China, wherever the fuck it may be. Even though Korea is not really a third world country, right? It's not, it, it's not at all. Sorry. But they don't have an open trade with Italy. Like America does or whatever. So prices are a little higher there. Okay. Now in Europe, it's... Not like that. But what I'm getting at is, if you want to get a Ferrari at retail, the rule is you need at least three cars before they even consider giving you one at spec at MSRP. Otherwise, depending on the car, it could be 20K, could be up to 150, 200K, depending how special the car is. Now, if you want a limited edition car, so you want a Challenge to Dali, you want a Pista, you want a Special, right? Shit, you got to have five cars. Now, you want to get one of the Hyper Edition, right? An exclusive series car. You want to get a LaFerrari, certain shit like that? Oh, yeah, you got to be on some whole other shit. You not just got to have a roster of Ferraris in your stable. You got to go visit Marinello. You got to go have, and the crazy shit is, they keep it all inside Ferrari. So even though I bought car Ferraris from San Francisco Ferrari, um, from Newport Beach Ferrari, but mostly from Beverly Hills Ferrari. That's where my majority of my Ferraris came from. That shit goes in the books and they check it right there. Ain't no financing 
at Ferrari, that's outside Ferrari Financial. And Ferrari Financial is a private Italian bank. They have a headquarters in New Jersey where they check shit out, but they give you a credit line. Boom, they gave me an open credit line for $2.5 million. I can go get a bunch of random shit here and there, but that's just, a, it's a different world today. When the SF90 came out is right before the pandemic happened. And he keeps talking about this car that even a super fucking high spec, super high spec, SF90 is probably about 670. That car at best might be at 800 right now. Market's down a little bit on that car. I sold mine for 925, right? And by the way, when you buy one of those cars from a Ferrari dealership, they make you sign a contract between six months to a year and you cannot sell that car. Now, if you sell that car within six months of a year or to a year, you are fucked and you'll never get a Ferrari ever again. doesn't matter if you go through your cousin or anybody else, whatever, you're just not going to get one. Now, how did I do it? Kept it for the amount that I needed. And then what I did was I had Ferrari fucking, you know, sell the car for me. I gave them profits and, and everyone was a happy family. Now, that's not supposed to be talked about, but that's just the truth. I'm giving you guys deep inside information. That's really how shit works. Now, McLaren's not necessarily the same way and whatever, but when you get into a hypercar game, different story. 99% of every hypercar is over a million dollars. And when you get into the hypercar game, you know, you usually get into a thousand horsepower car, blah, blah, whatever. The dude inflated every single fucking thing that he said. I got a million dollar Ferrari. No, you don't, bro. No, you don't. If you had an SF90 Spider, which there's like a handful. When I say a handful, five. There's like five in the country right now, in USA. Now in Europe, possibly. But I asked him, doesn't have one. Doesn't have one coming either. I said, you got a Daytona? You know, SP3 coming? No, I couldn't get an allocation. Okay, right there, right there. I just know right then and there. All right, dog, you got 10 million in cars, whatever, or 20 million in cars, whatever the fuck it is. Okay, bro. And he showed me like some crazy monster truck and I laughed. I was like, bro, what? Like, doc, that does nothing for me. Like, I respect people who have six by six G-Wagons and stuff. Cool. And they're, they're, those have even gone down, even with the crazy inflation and stuff. Car market is coming down right now. Certain cars are going to stay. Some cars are going to go up. LaFerrari is not going back down. It was already low for a while. When it hit 2.6 and all those type of shits, that was fucking low. And I knew it was too low. And I had a split second. I had three or four hours to make a decision. I fucked up and didn't. And I missed my chance to have a laugh. To be the greatest car. He goes, no, no, I'm talking about your Senna isn't as fast as my car can beat you. Actually, no, it can't. And you're fucking stupid as fuck. And so he kept talking about speed. And I was like, all right, bro, what about a Tesla Platinum? He goes, oh, I have one. I'm like, all right, you're talking about speed. He goes, oh, well, I don't like the brakes on Tesla. But you're reading forums. You're reading what people have said about certain things. You remember a couple things here and there. Like, bro, you're not going to argue with the dude who understands cars. So I tagged my boy Brooks, drag times. Funny thing, this dude knows a lot about Brooks and has watched a bunch of videos and great. And even Brooks, he understands what he's done. He goes out there, it's very simple and plain. He's not trying to do any edit tricks, no camera tricks. He goes out there and does quarter mile runs all day long. He's done almost every fucking car in existence. And he happens to be a good friend of mine, dragtimes.com. He's dragtimes.com on YouTube. He's got a very popular channel. Very fucking good dude. I love Brooks. I text Brooks. And I'm like, bro, look at this goofy-ass dude. Look what he's saying. Brooks finally chimes in. He was busy. And he goes, hey, where's Brooks? I thought he was going to say something. Da, 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 da. You watch this video. Look at the Senna versus the 765 and blah, blah. And he goes, look, when I raced the Senna, 
The Senna hit a trap speed of 148 miles per hour, and the SF90 has never done that. And he's like, oh, you're not talking about the ET? And da, 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 da. No, shut the fuck up, bro. You done heard from the fucking dude who does this. Just like I do it with watches, I do it with jewelry, and I'm in the car game deep for fucking 20-something years now. In the exotic game, 17, forget about it, right? Dude keeps bringing up, I'll bet you my spec's nicer. Show me your spec. And I'm like, I'll show you my spec when you show me a hypercar, bro. I got a 918, a fucking center. How come you got no hypercar? And that is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? When people were talking shit about Andrew Tate, oh, blah, 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 Bugatti, bro, Bugatti, Bukosa, this fucking $5 million Bugatti. People say, oh, you could steal it, whatever. I don't care how he got the money. That's not even, I'm not even questioning any of that. He claims to have $15 billion. Didn't even question that. I kept calling him a billionaire. Oh, I'm, I'm, you're a billionaire. I'm not a billionaire. And he's like, oh, you're in rap songs. I understand. I respect you. And he thought that that was a joke. And I'm like, bro, you want to be famous so fucking bad. You want to be relevant so fucking bad. I'm sure you have a lot of clonies that have a lot of money invested into your shit ass hex coin, whatever. And some people who listen to the show probably invested in hex. I don't care. That's not the issue. The issue is there's people who could hide their money very well. Problem is his money mostly came from crypto. Can't hide it that well. There is a blockchain. Okay. Look at the 20 richest or 20 something billionaires. He's not in that list. There's approximately 2,300 billionaires on the earth. He's not one of them. You can go do some research. I don't care what Google net worth says. It doesn't matter. And the thing is, when you Google his net worth, it's not a site that is reputable. It's nothing. People could have fucking pages here and there. Go check them what their fucking real rankings are. What's their background? Now, there is celebrity net worth. He's not a celebrity. All right? Posted some douche videos. Oh, I've been on a track before here and there. I'm like, all right, dog. Show me you really tracking the car. He's like, showing them whatever. Boom. He's like, I've taken my cars to limit. Bullshit. Now, the point of the matter is this. If I got in a GT3 RS, or let's just say a new GT3 now, I would lap dude on a track, on a race track. I've been driving like a motherfucker since I was 14. I've always been, I've been a good driver. You know, Alex Choi's been on here. He's spent, I don't know how many thousands of hours learning how to drift, doing canyon course here and there. Every single time we have been on a run and I'm like, Alex, let's run it. He has never, ever said, fuck it, let's just do it for fun. People see me out there. Just like people talk about shit like, oh man, you can't buy your golf shit, da 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 Never said I was good. Just letting you know what I'm doing. That's all. And I'm outside in public courses. Did it on the country clubs. I've played way more public courses than country club courses. I'm at a motherfucking public range. A goddamn par three nine hole fucking public course. Three times a fucking week. Back to the cars. It's about the driver. GT3 is definitely not the fastest car out there. You turn into a track star when you get in there. If you know how to use it right, you will fuck people up. And I've done it on many quick strikes. This dude, Richard Hart, keeps going back to, show me your Santa spec. I was like, bro, when'd you get your Santa? Oh, I got it 12 months ago. Okay, bro. I got my car two years ago, dog. My SF90 Spider's in route now. You got one coming? No, I don't. you don't. You got an SP3 coming? No, I couldn't get allocation. I like getting cars for deals. I like getting this. Unfortunately, you know, I hate paying resale and da 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 da. Why are you paying resale? Do you want to know why? Because you're a fucking newbie. Because you ain't fucking really a car dude. 
And he goes, these are the cars I own. I have a G-Wagon uh, 4x4, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I have this. I have a fucking Huracan Evo. And I have, you know, um, a Ferrari Roma and this and whatever. And I'm just like, that's the car he posts a lot. And I'm not saying he doesn't have that stuff. Cool, maybe he does. I don't, that, I'm sure he does. That's cool. Bro, let me tell you something real quick. If you are a true lover of cars and you want to floss and you're out there and you're talking about this, I can understand the 4x4. It's a cool car. I had one. You guys remember I posted on my IG and whatever, cool, great car, fun car, right? New one's coming out soon. They're kind of up. They finally went down a little bit. But let me tell you something. If you claim to be a billionaire and you love cars, you are not fucking buying Aroma. You are not buying no fucking Portofino, a California Aroma, unless that is your side bitch's car. And you will state it as that. That is a fact. You will say, oh, this is my side bitch's car. Not even your wife's car. That's, that's your side bitch's car. Oh, they got a Bentley G2. No, 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 bro. I'll, I have all those shit. The only thing that was worth mentioning was his black badge, Cullinan. I haven't seen it. And his SF90. And at the same time, I love SF90. It's great. That ain't not, that, dude, you can't compare that to a fucking hypercar. You don't really try to compare that to a fucking Senna or a fucking 918, bro. Are you nuts? Like, the shit is literally asinine beyond unbelievable when you sit there and you tell me that you're good at basketball and we're like let's go play some ball dog okay let me see some shots let me see this this and this let's go play football whatever and you call someone out on, on the thing and they go oh well, you know what bro I'm just, I, I like hockey bro you're promoting basketball and football where the fuck is the hockey coming from the fuck are you talking about you keep saying two plus two equals eight, and it doesn't. And that's all I'm saying. You keep saying $1 million fucking SF90. There is no $1 million SF90 right now. There's been asking prices for that. Cool. You try to shit on McLaren. You try to shit on a fucking, but yet you have an Artura. Again, a car that you would buy your son after he graduated high college if you really were like balling out of control. You're not driving that fucking car, bro. You'd be in a motherfucking P1 Senna a fucking 765 or an Elva, right? You don't have the money to get a Sabre because if you were a billionaire, you would have been got that car. You wouldn't have thought twice about it. You don't want to buy, oh man, fucking, I like getting deals. You didn't get a deal on any of your watches. You bought that shit newbie here and there and you keep promoting the same certain things. You keep talking about this. I got the most expensive. No, you don't, dog. You're the world's largest diamond. Don't mean shit. I could go find a 7,000 carat one and boom, whatever. It doesn't mean nothing. In the rough, it means shit. You could literally pull that motherfucking thing out and there could be fucking I3 clarity fucking rocks in there. Who fucking knows? That's why I didn't even fucking bring that up. But when you bring up watches, you bring up cars and these things are fucking trackable. Do you realize on Senna's, on the 500, there's a page that has every fucking spec. Meaning they had my car when I bought it. They already knew. Where it came from, where the origin was, here and there. Same with LaFerrari. Now, LaFerrari isn't numbered that way. 918s are. P1s are. LaFerrari, it says one out of 499. You know, whatever. I'm just saying. You have cars, and I get it. I can understand the Evo to a certain extent. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get no, why'd you get an Evo? Why wouldn't you have SVJ? Or at least an SV. Why the fuck would you get an Evo? Are you, oh, the, the Evo is fat. No, Doug, if you want speed, and then you put roadster on order, this and that, blah, blah, cars coming. Like, this is fucking stupid, bro. 
You look like a complete ass bag. And anybody really in the real car industry, like, and I ain't talking about supercar blondie, I would give Shmi a certain amount of respect because he's actually involved with McLaren, things like that. But I'm talking about people who actually understand. And the thing is, supercar blondie is still tied into a lot of people that I know. But if I was like talking to David Lee, who I should have on the show, if I haven't talked to, you know, or Brooks and whatever, and let's even say daily driven exotics who don't even have any hypercars or whatever, or Strodman or somebody understands shit, that'd be like, oh God, that guy, they would understand the argument. Never in a million fucking years, even Ferrari fanboys are never going to compare an SF90 to a fucking Senna. You just can't. It's not comparing apples to oranges. It's comparing Don Perignon to Martinelli's apple juice, sparkling apple juice. It is the, it's, you can't compare the two. You sound fucking stupid as fuck. And he kept bringing up irrelevant shit. And his clonies and people that fall, they have no idea because these guys probably have 80K in, you know, life savings or whatever they're worth here, or they want to be rich. They think they're going to be rich, whatever it may be. Nobody with any sense in their head is going to listen to the bullshit. And I'm sorry I spent 20 minutes talking about it, but I had to just break that down. Because fake Watchbuster, man, God bless his soul, that's my dog. I would fucking love him to come in here and chime in and talk about, you know, the shit that he has and bring real value things. And people, with a watch game right now is fucking trash. It's absolute fucking bullshit. The way Rolex is treating people, the way Patek is treating people, Audemars isn't, they're still having their VIP shit, but I'm going to talk about this shortly. I bought what I liked. If I knew then that my Patek 5723 was going to be probably a half million dollar watch, I would have kept it. And I liked the watch. My 5711 going for like 200 grand average rolls gold, uh, you know, 5711 1R, I, I would have kept it. When my 5981R got an offer for 325 because the actual paper said Ben Yang on them, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Goodbye, see you later, gone. 66K I paid for that watch from Nick Bindi, right? Brand new, first owner, Okay. I was buying 5981 A's stainless for like 28 grand most. A couple times I think I paid 26, 27. 5711s, I was paying like 22, 24K stainless. 5711s, probably like 100 something thousand. 5980 in the stainless is, is might work maybe upwards of 150, 200. I don't know. They're ridiculously priced. But the thing with Paddock is they're not making any more fucking analysis like that. Even Aquanauts are going for crazy money, especially a Tiffany Co. one. It's going crazy. Now, Let's talk about Rolex real quick. Rolex said that they're going to produce less watches. That, you know, there's, they don't have more dealerships. They've canceled so many people's accounts. They've pulled Rolex from so many places, and it's fucking sad. One of the oldest Rolex official dealers in L.A. was a Korean-owned place called St. Cross in Koreatown. They pulled their Rolex account. You know, there's a place called El Dorado Watch. I was in the Beverly Center. They're at the Grove for a little while. Poor John. 
He had a Rolex account for decades. They pulled his account because Gary's is too close by and they didn't want the competition and they control everything. You walk into any Rolex dealership in the last three years and you'll see empty shelves. You'll see two-tone date just that nobody fucking wants. Some people are like, oh, I still get it here and there. Cool. No, bro. You cannot walk into the win, the flagship Rolex store of the earth, not of Vegas, not of the West Coast, not of USA, of the earth. You go to the win Rolex store. And you cannot even buy a watch there today. You cannot walk in there with money, be a billionaire, watch a watch. They're not selling you a watch. They don't have one for sale. Same thing goes with some Rolls Royce dealerships in LA. Ferrari dealership, they don't have the cars. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense, right? They got some shit to show here and there. I don't know how fucking people are making money, whatever, but I'm going to say this. Just to give you an idea, when the Y2K shit blew up and all the websites were going crazy, the K serial number Rolex which is like 2002, was like one of the most, it was one of the most popular years because everyone started getting dot-com businesses on the internet. And there was an explosion. I paid $2,800 for my Submariner date. And that was my first Rolex from a dealership. Not, you know, my first Rolex I bought from Dr. Dre when I was 97. That was a date just with a diamond bezel that I got from this place called JR's in Sherman Oaks, California. I don't think they even exist anymore. I'm talking about legit. I sold that watch to my boy KB. KB worked for Undefeated for many years. He has a company called Emotionally Unavailable, and he is the actual person that got Travis Scott his fragment collaboration with Hiroshi. All right? Sold KB that watch for like four, $4,500. That watch is worth a lot more money. I was buying Incredible Hulks for under 5000 they're going for like 20-something K, 50th anniversary, all that shit. If I had known, that would have been the greatest fucking place to put money. You know what, though? I flipped a shitload of watches during the pandemic. Have no regret. All at peak times. I'm just sad I didn't buy more shit. But I'm not a greedy person. Because if I was, I'd be working more. But I want to talk about watches because I want to talk about where would you put your money right now. Don't buy a motherfucking watch. But at the same time, you know, putting your money in the bank. All right, well, you know, again, you putting in a savings account? I mean, you could put in a CD, put in a bond. All right, cool. But put in a bank to like think that you're going to save money from there or you're going to, you know, get. No, that's just to have, you know, your liquid cash. You got to put that shit in a home. You got to put that shit in something that's going to really, really build. And it's a gamble still, right? The watch game is starting to come down a bit. Is starting to get more realistic. And in 2013, 2009, 2010, you were able to get a 10% discount. Just walking in being a Joe Schmo. If you're a homie, you can get up 25% from someone you had a great relationship with. Rolex hates that. I think there was an episode of Kardashians or something. I forgot what it was. Was it Shaz's Sunset? Something. And Nick Bindi exposed that and they fucking royally almost fucked Bindi. And Bindi was a really, really big, you know, history of, they have like, Four or five stores, Atlanta and LA and Artesia, I mean Glendale, sorry. And, you know, all kinds of shit happened. And they, they you know Nick's out working for this dude. Um, fucking A. What the fuck is it? Not NYC Luxury. Fuck, what's... Oh, my God. It's driving me crazy. Forgot the name. But Nick Bendy's working for a watch dealer in New York that buys everything aftermarket. He has his plugs. Some people used to talk shit about gray markets. But like, oh, man, Rolex came from Mexico. The cards in Mexico. Nobody gives a fuck anymore. If it comes from Germany, Mexico, whatever else. 
One of the best websites to ever buy a fucking Rolex back in the day was SwissLuxury.com. SwissLuxury.com used to list the retail price, the actual retail price, what you could get it for from them, and there was always a decent discount. If it was a really, really hot watch, like a Batman or something, there would just be retail. And they had them all day long. And that's fucking crazy. To get a watch for retail right now is like trying to get Emily Ratatowski to suck your dick. And you got pimples on your face and everything. It's just not going to happen. It's just a fucked up situation. Now, I still got plugs. I'm just not using them because it's not worth it and I don't need anything right now. But if you're looking to buy a Submariner date and you can't get one for retail, I wouldn't even get it, right? And some people say, oh man, but they're going for this much. Look, man, again, in the 2002-2001 market when they're making Rolexes, I'm just giving a rough estimate. They were making like, you know, let's just say a few thousand Submariners a year. You know, definitely not in the 10,000 range. They said that there was a shortage of Rolexes. They're making way less. Really, the demand was a lot higher because they started putting all the watches since 2019 when I walked into in Oslo, Norway, walked to a Rolex dealer. You walk in Rodeo Drive. You start walking into the wind. Every fucking dealer does have watches. They got them in the back, though. They'll tell you, no, we don't, da, 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 whatever. And it's like they're lying to you. They do, though. Now, they can't sell them to you. That's true. But they make people put on a waiting list. Some places have, you know, you want a stainless Daytona, which has always been the coveted, hardest watch to get. Yeah, guess what? You had to spend 100 k a year, and then you get on a list, and boom, whatever, blah, blah, whatever, and all that bullshit and hoops and jumps to go through to get a fucking get one. Now, the lists at some of these dealerships, they're like 75 people long. Some of them probably mean a couple hundred people long. So the chance of you getting one's just not likely, right? But I'll say this. Those watches that they're making under 10,000 of now, they're upwards of making 50,000 now. Now, of course, the demand is high, but they ain't making less watches. They keep saying the demand is high. They're making more. Just like the sneaker games, like flipping sneakers, just like flipping cars. You got limited edition sneakers. Some people say, oh man, that's rare, dude. They only made 20,000 pairs. 20,000 pairs, fam? When I was collecting sneakers, a rare pair of shoes was under 100. Now you get a pair of shoes that's under 100, it's fucking mayhem. 25, bro, when they told me they made 175,000 pairs of Sean Witherspoons and I fucking designed the shoe, say co-designed, but I was one of the main designers, right? I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Shit sold out. The shoe's still going for like fucking 15, 1600, maybe 2000, I don't know. Don't care. But there's more people in the world, there's more demand, people are flipping shit, but just like flipping sneakers, like flipping cars, you gotta make relationships. People are sitting there relying on the sneakers app because they live in Omaha, Nebraska. They don't have, you know, a certain store that sells. They don't have a tier zero sneaker store, right? People are trying to get a fucking Daytona stainless. They don't have a Rolex dealer. For watches, it doesn't matter where the fuck you are. You're just not getting one. The car game, you can still get a relationship. You could do, there's ways to make relationships. I'm not going to tell you that part because it just fucks the game up more. You need to figure that part on yourself. What I want to know is, where were these corny-ass motherfucking Richard Hart-type dudes who were in off-white and gallery department or whatever, wearing Gucci and all this other shit, driving G-wagons and fucking having fake Richard Mill watches or some of them real? Where were you guys 10 years ago? Right? Where were you guys 20 years ago? And by the way, Richard Mill was founded in 1992. Audemars, 1800s. Vacheron, 1800s. Paddock, 1800s. And again, uh, you know, if you look at 
any real watch collector. And when I say real watch collector, I'm talking about like Alfredo Paterico, right? I'm talking about John Mayer. I'm talking about people who are very highly respected at the ultimate top tier level of horology. Not only do none of them own a Richard Mill, they would never even take one as a gift. If you got the top five watch collectors on earth, not one single one of them owns a Richard Mill. What does that mean? You figure that out. Right? Gerald Genta would never fucking design a Richard Mill. And I'm going to get into that fake hype. When we talk about Rolex, okay, with the exception of the Sky Dweller, maybe they Daytona, especially when it had the Zenith movement. Rolex movements in their watches aren't that great. Do I own Rolexes? Yes, I do. I got 11 that are that heat. As far as the movement goes, you know, they got to be serviced. There's oil. That shit's going to go in there. Different countries, different cities have different ways to make a move. Look, man, there are a lot of Omega watches that have better movement than a Rolex does. Now, when it comes to a Richard Mill, does it have a great movement? It actually does. I'm not, I'm not going to say it doesn't. I'm just talking about the fake cap marketing that they had behind it. And what makes me so angry now is that Richard Mill is represented by Audemars. So they have the same like sales shit. So the distribution-wise, it's fucked up. But where do I think the watch game is going? I think there'll be a little bit of a correction, but it's always been a status symbol of, you know, wealth. People want a Rolex. I sold my brother-in-law his GMT Master II. I think it was like a 2014 or 15. And I sold it to him like right around then. And I sold it to him for like $4,500. Watch is like 20K now. And it blows his fucking mind. I mean, he could literally dump that watch probably for fucking twelve dollars or $13,000. I just got it serviced. Hooked him up. Where do you put your money? If you can get a Submariner date, GMT date, I wouldn't say a Rolex president. I wouldn't say a Sky Dweller. This is just maybe a, a stainless Sky Dweller. Okay. If you can get any of the hot sport watches at retail, I'd do it. 5% over, maybe, right? But I wouldn't definitely never in a million fucking years pay over retail for a fuck. I paid fucking $92,000 for my fucking Rainbow Daytona. That is my pride and joy, ultimate holy grail watch. I love it. Haven't worn it in maybe six years, right? I'm motherfuckers at half a mil right now too. My platinum fucking Daytona, my platinum baguette Daytona, Nick Bindi sold me that watch for $127,000. Sold Nick Diamond one too. That motherfucker's like six, seven hundred k now. It's fucking nuts. But I kept it because I liked it. Thought it was unique. There was a white gold rainbow Daytona, just like John Mayer's, in fucking um, the Torno Rolex in San Francisco, right there on Market Street in the Westfield Market Street Mall, right, up right there in San Francisco. They had a white gold fucking Daytona rainbow for 87K, which I think was right at retail. And I could have bought it out the window and I didn't. And that was probably one of my biggest watch regrets ever. Other than selling my 5711 for like 45K rose gold, which was more than I paid for it. But shit, you know, could have made 100K on that watch easy. Watch game is crazy. Trying to get a paddock now is just fucked up. The, the, the chances of you getting one at retail now just probably ain't gonna happen. I don't care how good your relationship is. They even fucking cut it down to like their top tier customers. Just can't get it. So why do I talk about it? 
because there's ways to develop relationships. There's ways to win somebody over. There's ways to get in there. If you're just a regular Joe Schmo, shit, man, I still think there's a way to get in. You'd be surprised. When I walked into the Rolex dealer in Tyson's luxury mall, Tyson's 2, I was wearing my 5726 paddock, took it off so you look at it, but I was like, I was like, I was like, dog. And they have this real elitist, crazy, snooty attitude. And um, they didn't know who I was, which is great. It's fine. I think a couple of people might have figured it after. And I was just talking to them. I was like, yeah, man, this is cool. I customize it. I don't really give a fuck. I bought this watch for 26000 It's like, you PVD'd this watch? I'm like, yeah. DLC, but yeah. It was done perfectly. Look at it. It's like, damn, it's crazy. Like, I don't give a fuck about this watch. I was like, you know, it's just my daily watch. You know, yeah, it's about 100K or so. I don't really care. It's my daily whatever watch. And they're like, well, what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, I'm a jeweler. They're like, oh, really? Guys go to the page and say certain things. I'm like, yo, bro, you guys got a lot of attitude. It ain't having high standards when you treat people a certain way. You got a lot of attitude for not making anywhere near, you know what I'm saying, what motherfuckers is in here doing. I'm not some fucking clown on the street that's got no paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, I've been in this game longer than you have. Than everyone in this fucking place. Your manager ain't sold watches as long as I have. You know? It's it's a funny game right now. But Paul, Jamil, you know, one of my best friends, Kai's godfather, he's built a relationship there and been able to get his watches here and there. The thing that sucks is, just like with Ferrari, you want to get a law Ferrari, they're going to make you buy a shitty car. Not a shitty car necessarily, but they're going to make you buy something you might not like. Some people don't like the FF or the GTC4 Lusso. They don't make those anymore, but I'm just saying, you might have to buy a car you like. That's not the case with that dude, Richard Hart, but I'm saying you're going to have to buy some cars. You're going to have to fucking buy maybe a fucking two-tone Datejust with a Jubilee band, like a fucking 36 millimeter, or even a fucking 30 millimeter, like a mid-size women's, like a whatever, just so you take the L so you can get it. And, and if that happens, sure. Go buy your Daytona stainless steel. You won't lose. I guarantee you will not lose. But that's the trick, where to put your money. And we're going to get to that in an episode or two max when I interview this couple. That's what they specialize in. Again, I just bought what I liked. you know. And the pictures you see on Instagram, those are watches that I own, right? Minus the 5980 1R, right? You'll never see me buy a Richard Miller ever again. I got it for a great price. That watch is still worth a lot more money. It doesn't matter about that. It's what's behind that watch. It's who wears it. It's what that represents. At least with the Rolex, it represents something classier than that. It's just not what I'm what I'm fucking with. But um, I know we spent a lot of time on Clown Boy, but it really correlated with what I was saying with the watch game and is definitely starting to slowly go down, slowly go down more. But there is a lot of hype. The thing is, where's all this money coming from? Now, there are people who have some money saved up. And when you do, you know, look, Jock Peterson wanted a watch. I connected with one of my boys. He got taken care of. There's a way to do it. And I know, again, he's a celebrity. He's a pro baseball player that has, you know, a lot of whatever, and people fuck with them. Again, there's other ways to get in there, just not by being famous. But I'll tell you, you know, I definitely take advantage of my networks, my plugs, but it took 30-something years to develop that. So I just don't use them for no reason because I know the comeback, you know, and the, and the favor back is some whole other shit. But I, I keep those relationships strong. Now, real quick, 
because I didn't think I was going to talk about it this long. Um, I was going to talk about these chicken sandwiches that are so simple, but super overhyped, like that Popeye situation. Now this Wingstop one's happening. I want to try this fucking lemon pepper chicken sandwich. And I know we just jumped into a whole different thing, but I just want to talk about it and say, look, man, it ain't that serious, but I'll do my review once I get to try one. Um, it's been a crazy week. My kids are back in school full time. They had this heat wave. So like they were able to get a lax uniform, still a uniform, but like the PE shit where they were like basketball shorts and like the t-shirt, cool things. But I had a parent teacher conference with all three of my kids' teachers because my wife had to watch the kids. You can't have kids there. And I'm sitting there and I have other people's parents giving me hugs and things and everything. I'm like, oh shit, you know, I'm just, I'm not too cool to do that. I couldn't imagine if I was fucking Eminem or whatever and it's fucking tough, you know? being fucking really involved. And one of the teachers, fucking amazing. His insight on what he thinks about teaching is respect and making the kids talk to each other and always changing. Even You can't have a click inside the classroom. You want to do it at lunchtime? Cool, whatever, boom, you can't do that. And it's a small school, you know? Now, London's teacher, I have to have that talk. Hey, listen, London had a tough life growing up. I want you to understand this, this, and this. He can't be around peanut butter. He's anaphylactic, he can die. EpiPen's in his bag. You have one here. And there's one in the office with the nurse. So, you know, just want to have this idea. Boom. And she's supposed to be the toughest teacher in the entire school. So I kind of softened her up, had this conversation. She was really cool, broke down everything that they're doing. She's like, hey, if your kids say they don't have homework, especially math homework, be skeptical because I give homework every single fucking night. And I'm like, God damn. And she's like, kindergarten to third grade, you know, okay, it's basic stuff here and there. Fourth grade, we get into it. And she was even talking about doing like a little bit of pre-algebra. I was like, in fourth grade? Like, God damn, London's already overwhelmed, you know, but I just love being, you know, I love if I could be involved in my kids' lives, even on the school shit, usually my wife is more involved in it, but we obviously join. I do a lot of donation and charity for the school and everything. It's cool. Um, golf tournament. I played Deontay Wilder, the bronze bomber, and his wife, Telly Swift. They did a, a tournament. I played golf with uh, Matt Barnes, Byron Scott. French Montana's supposed to show up and I don't know what the fuck happened. Who else was there? Michael Blackson, NDO champ. There was a couple, a lot of golf influencers showed up. Forgot Halle Berry's ex-husband's name. And some other people were there and fucking uh, Victor Ortiz was there. I don't know if he played, but look, my foursome was me, the stranger who was Mike, my boy's head director of, of marketing for TaylorMade. My cousin Pete was a pro. He's an amateur pro now. And Sam Yee, who was also a former pro who won a major as a pro. And um, again, major, I'm talking about um, a different PGA. You know, he was on the Asian tour. But we had a fucking blast. We had a great fucking time. We shot 15 under. And the winning score was 19 under, which was reachable with us. None of us cheated. No mulligans, no nothing. And the crazy part is I have three guys who are fucking incredibly talented at golf could play with anybody in the world. They could hang with a pro anywhere. They're going to shoot low 70s, possibly high 60s. They could play with any PGA pro anywhere. And I was happy that I contributed probably six shots. I made four birdie putts. I made one drive. That's the middle of the fairway. And I hit a fucking three wood, 230 something yards. And it got right in front on the fairway, right in front of this lake, but it was still perfect amount of space, 67 yards from the hole. So I was able to contribute, had a great fucking time. My coach sent me home from practice two days ago, said, yo, you know what? You look tired, you look fatigued, you're not drinking enough water. I can tell by the way that your body's moving. Look, I need you to take two days off. And when you come back, hit 50 balls, don't hit more. 
Go play around if you want. Cool. But don't you're six, seven days a week. It just ain't, it, you, your body's not built for it. You're an old, you know what I'm saying? You're getting old or whatever. And I get it. It's cool. But the golf grind still continues. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is I refuse to accept any Leonardo DiCaprio slander because he dumped his girlfriend. She's 25 now. Beautiful fucking girl, by the way. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, Leo's my age, maybe a year younger. So that is kind of crazy having a 20 year difference or so, whatever. It's some people I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Hollywood's different. Um, but regarding Hollywood, I only got to watch one movie this week. And uh, by the way, no, no, I already talked about power of fucking, uh, what do you call it? Raising Canaan. This new Sylvester Stallone movie on Amazon Prime called Samaritan. It's like kind of like it has that theme of like a Marvel hero movie, but it's a little more dark and it's more streets. So it's kind of almost kid friendly. You know, if your kid's a, a young teenager or maybe even 12 or above, you know, it's kind of you make the decision. I definitely don't think Ryder or Lennox really watch it, but it, it was good. You know, slightly corny here and there, but it was good. I like Sylvester Stallone movies, you know, especially his his more recent Rambo movie. You know, it was really violent. That's way too violent for anyone even under 17. Um, but it was good. It's called Samaritan. Like I said, it's on Prime. It's free. If you got any other suggestions, always hit that, you know, email and give me a suggestion. Plus, you could hit the message button. My email button's on my Instagram profile now. I don't know if people know that, but hit me there. And uh, great fucking episode. I'm sorry we had to talk so much about certain things, but I had to address a lot of bullshit want you guys to have a great fucking weekend. You guys know that today is my favorite day of the week. And I'm about to go speak on this panel for the weekend for HXOUSE. Or I don't know what the fuck it is. I guess it's it's XO House, but it does like HXUSE or something. I don't know. Shout out to my boy Lamar Taylor. Um, I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I got that going on. We have a lot of exciting shit going on. Um, again, we have, you know, two interviews coming up in the next week or two. No, in the next week, sorry. Subscribe if you haven't, but I appreciate everyone who tunes in. That was fucking a lot. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, Miles is going to have his work cut editing this thing. But guys, I love you. I will see you back Monday. And uh, I'm pretty sure Monday we'll be dropping this business episode where we can talk about where to put your money. But um, until then, bro, if you guys have bros, BTB Army, gals, if you have any watch questions, hit me up. If I know the answer, cool. I just know values and I know, you know, rarities and stuff. But, you know, it's not the same as before. So um, that's it. Again, always make it a great day. Love you guys. I will talk to you soon. That's my man, Lakey Lake, in the background. We are out of here, y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.